0: If you're looking for a podcast that's both uplifting and inspiring, you've found it. Let us help you find your joy in life. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to another amazing Grief and Rebirth podcast interview. Before we begin, I want to remind you that you can see the full show notes and all episodes on www.iriewineberg.com. And make sure to follow us on social at at Irene S. Weinberg on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I'm also loving all the feedback you've been sending me about the podcast. I want to start sharing some of your amazing stories of grief and rebirth live on the show. So if you email me your story at hello at IreneWeinberg.com, I will share it on an upcoming show. We can surely help each other by sharing our own stories, and I want to hear from you. By the way, your story can be anonymous if you don't want your name out there. Our guest today is Reverend Karen E. Herrick, a Jungian psychotherapist who has lectured throughout the United States for 30 years about dysfunctional and addictive homes, disassociation, grief, and loss. Since 1995, Karen's interfaith ministry has been actively involved in spiritual psychology, specifically in naming spiritual experiences and working with chronic grief. This has led her to studying the bi-directional system of the vagus nerve, through which we receive intuitive and spiritual messages. Karen is also the author of three books titled, You're Not Finished Yet. Grandma, what is a soul? And her third book coming out soon is called The Psychology of the Soul and the Paranormal. Karen, what a true pleasure to welcome you to Grief and Rebirth podcast. We met at a party last winter and followed up by having a delightful dinner together, during which we both agreed that your wisdom and expertise would be invaluable on Grief and Rebirth podcast. And now, here we are. There are so many things I want to chat with you about especially your three books. But before we begin, can you please briefly explain what all those initials after your name, which give you your tremendous expertise mean, namely PhD, LCSW, LMSW, CADC, ACMHP. Yes,
1: I can tell you what they mean. Mm -hmm. Um, A PhD means I have a, a doctorate in spiritual psychology. Uh, Most psychologists specialize. And so after I had my spiritual experience and people started coming, I decided to get a doctorate in um, naming spiritual experiences because that's one of the problems. People have these weird things happen to them and they don't know what they are. And if we can name them, uh, it'll help people normalize them a bit. LCSW is a licensed clinical social worker in the state of New Jersey. And and LMSW is a licensed clinical social worker in New York. Because some people who come have New York state insurance. CADC is a certified alcohol and drug counselor. And AMC MHP is a spirituality organization that has um, said that I know about spirituality. So <laughs> that's,
0: that's what they all mean. <laughs> You're an expert. You're a true expert. Can you briefly tell us about what you do as a reverend in an interfaith ministry? What yes. sorts of, and what sorts of issues do you help people work through? Okay.
1: Uh, the reverend and in interfaith ministry started when um, I had a Catholic mother and a Protestant father. And I was raised Protestant, but all my other relatives on my mother's side were Catholic. So I was a little confused about, you know, which one God approved of. So um, I decided to go to the interfaith ministry in New York City and learn about the different religions of the world. And of course, I found out there's only one God and met a lot of lovely people. Um, and so interfaith really helps me. I could marry you and bury you. But I don't do that. I, I really help people who have questions about their religion, uh, maybe guilt about how they don't feel like being so much of their religion anymore and how much they can handle and how much they, you know, want to just push to the side. Also, in chronic grief, uh, many times religion doesn't help them. Uh, tells them they have a soul or their soul departed, but then what does that mean? So I do help them that way, and um, it just gives you more compassion about the world and and about different religions. And I can always um, talk to um, other ministers um, if I have a client that needs to go to someone else. You know about more depth in, in a religious problem.
0: I think that's wonderful. Personally, I really do. I, I mean, I I know that a lot of people question their faith, and some people change their faith and. Uh, You're a perfect person to talk to about that when a person is having those feelings. Yes. You're also the director of the center for children of alcoholics in Red Bank, New Jersey. How do you help children and their families at this center? And are the participants mainly from New Jersey or from other States as well? Okay. Well, children of alcoholic is what I named uh, my
1: private practice over 30 years ago. And I saw kids a lot then now they have, um, alcohol and drug counselors in school systems. Um, So mostly the kids I see now are adolescents, um, but I've seen kids as young as three And um, to explain to them what's going on in their home and what the drinking means, um, et cetera, et cetera. So mainly what I'm, who I see now are um, children and wives and spouses, husbands of people who are addicted or who were addicted and the leftovers of that in their family. And Many people think, you know, if I I know I was married to an alcoholic whom I had to divorce because you just couldn't stand it anymore. But um, some people who have, um, you know, get someone in recovery, they wake up and they think, oh, now our problems are all going to be solved because the person doesn't drink anymore. Well, there were a lot of underlying problems in that marriage and in that home. To begin with, drinking exacerbated them. So the drinking, stopping the drinking is not going to make everything wonderful. Um, so those are the kind of people that I see. And a lot of relationship problems, they come to me because they've never really seen how a good relationship should work and what compromise and negotiation means because control is the biggest issue if you've been raised in an alcoholic or dysfunctional home, you want control. And that doesn't always lead to, you know, fairness or being able to compromise with the person.
0: That's really fascinating to know. I, I know a lot of different people uh, and a lot of different issues that they have are are connected to, to a need for control. But I didn't know that that was also the case in the, uh, for alcoholics. So yes. that's uh, you just taught me something um, <laughs> significant. Thank you, Karen. You're welcome. Uh, um, and now we're going to take a quick break to allow a minute for our sponsors who keep this podcast free for our listeners. We'll be right back. We're back. Thank you for tuning in to my incredibly informative and interesting interview today with Karen Herrick. Let's continue on with this question. Karen, you give webinars on Jungian psychology, the vagus nerve and spirituality and finding your soul. How does a person find your webinars and how does a person find his or her
1: soul? (laughs) Okay, well, the webinars are probably easier. So you go on www.ce, meaning continuing education, C-E-U-Y-O-U.org. And on there, you will find their schedule. And I I usually teach about once a month. And what this is for, basically, is for social workers and psychologists who need continuing education credits. And a lot of people have problems getting um, credits about Jungian psychology because usually you have to go to an institute in a big city, very expensive traveling and all that. So um, I find that um, they really like to come and talk about Jung, and that's my favorite subject. Oh, wow. Um, so, but anybody, it's $39.95 to take um, a two-hour class, and you get two credits. Um, and if you don't need the credits, you can just pay your thirty nine ninety five and learn.
0: Okay, and that leads me to ask you, Exactly how is Jungian psychology different than, regu- than other forms of psychology?
1: Jungian psychology believes in the altered states of consciousness. So now there are some people in psychology which like, psychology just wants to know, how do you behave every day and are you happy? But they don't go into dreaming or altered states if you have an out-of-body experience or a near-death experience, and they have no way of explaining that to you. It looks like mental illness to them. And so Jungian psychology accepts all types of experiences because, um, Carl Jung believed that, um, the mind, uh, uh hey, there was a realm of nuclear physics and the space time continuum was in our the bottom of our unconscious and that all these wonderful things could happen to you and that we could help that, that the. The basis for psychology in the future was to be able to understand these psychic um, things that were going on and how does mediumship happen. And his mother was psychic and his father was a minister. So he was confused about God. So he, he has a lot of spiritual advice that most psychologists don't have. So it's, it's very different, but it's very wonderful because it encompasses the whole person.
0: That is fascinating. I'm learning a lot today, Karen. Thank you. Uh, I really appreciate this. Can you tell us about the mystical experience that inspired you to become who you are professionally and spiritually and how you finally figured out what had happened to you?
1: Sure. Um, I was uh, going to a conference where they said that I would have to um, breathe to music, which I had no idea what that meant, but it was um, after I started my practice and um, they were giving it in Connecticut and it was a week that my daughter was going to be at camp. So you know, I just drove over there and um decided I was gonna learn about this breathwork technique. So it, they taught about union psychology, which was the first time I really um had those classes. And then about Wednesday, it was five or six days, we laid down and we breathed to this music. And the music was to activate your chakra system in your body, which is an invisible system of energies that you have that go up and down the vagus nerve. And um, so anyway, I laid down and um they <laughs> they gave me these instructions. Um, don't think, just breathe. And it was probably the only time in my life when, when I was taught not to think. So, and I follow instruction. So I, I, I breathed in and out and in and out. And, um, and the music was activating, you know, the, the first kind of music was um, um, African drums for the, for the, the base chakra is your fear base chakra. And all these wonderful things are happening inside my body and, Um, it was just, you're just in an altered state and you have no idea how much time this is taking or anything. So anyway, I'm doing this and I pull up my legs, I'm laying down on a, you know, um, some blankets and a pillow and I pull up my legs in the birthing position and this breath comes into my vagina and out my mouth. And I'm like, what is that? Who is that? And, and I thought, uh, don't think just breathe. So I'm breathing and this other breath is breathing. And it seemed to me that its other breath was in me for about 20 minutes. I don't know, but that's what it seemed like. And then after that, I experienced my my real birth um, as a baby. And I was breathing and breathing and I was thinking, where's my mother? And I was thinking, why do I need my mother? And and the, the trainers came over and I held on their um, wrists and I just, they kept telling me to push and, and that was my birth. And it was, but I'll tell you, it must be easier to die than it is to be born because <laughs> that was exhausting. And then what we were supposed to do was get up and not talk to anybody and then draw a mandala, which is a, a picture in a circle, which is a Jungian thing. So I went over and I drew a flower in the sky and the sun. and um, and um, But when I stood up, Irene, mean, I knew there was a God. And before that, Um, I really hadn't because I thought, you know, in this alcoholic home, it's too messy for God to be in here. I'm sure he doesn't like this because I didn't like it. And um, so I didn't believe really there was a God. I believed something about the wind, like the American Indians, and I believed in nature and, you know, that we all should be kind to each other. But then I knew there was a God And, and the awe I felt and the beauty and the awareness of these 21 people that when I first started on Sunday, I thought were all pretty weird Um, and they, you know, they believed in things that I didn't even know about yet. And, um, but I knew we were all connected and that all of us were connected to everyone in the world. And And is that how you describe God as that universal connection connection? Well, God is, yeah, it's a being. I believe in what Abraham Maslow said, God is being just, we have to live this life and we have to do it together and we have to try to be understanding
0: to each other and as kind as we can be. And, you know, the golden rule doesn't hurt. Well, it kind of is in keeping with when they pulled me out of the car after my husband died next to me. And the message I received it, that came into my head was be loving and kind to everyone. Yes.
1: It's but very now much What like happened that. with this experience, right, was um, then we went to lunch to ground your body. And then we go to the group to, un- to understand our mandalas. So the teacher says to me, oh, you had a rebirth. And that's all she said. And so I watched everybody else and I listened to their stories. Nobody had a breath come into them that they couldn't, you know, they didn't know who that was. So I was like, hmm, I'm not talking about this. So it took me about a year to two years to figure out that that was the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. and that that it had been a rebirth that I, I now knew there was a God, which I didn't know before.
0: That's a wonderful story. And for people who are saying, what the heck is she talking about, a, a vagus nerve in spirituality? Okay. Could you kind of define that? And you, we had also talked about finding your soul, if you'd like to comment on that.
1: Yes. Well, we find our soul from the roles we take on in our family and, um, and then what happens to us in life. And we grow from that because our job is to develop our soul in this life. And everybody, every religion tells you you have a soul practically, but they don't tell you what to do with it. Um, So number one, you're supposed to find your soul purpose in life. And when you do that, you're the happiest, right? And you're doing what God wants you to do or the higher power. Um, So then what did you ask me after that? And and tell them about the vagus nerve. Oh, the vagus nerve. Now that's the 10th and longest nerve in your body. So it comes in at the top of your head, goes around your neck, touches your amygdala. Which is fight, flight, or frozen, and frozen is what happens to you when you have trauma. And then you go; it goes down your spinal column into your heart and down into your stomach. So it—it's—it tells your stomach tells your brain eighty percent of what happens in your body. So if you've had trauma and say something happened, so you're afraid of cats now, right? And so you're forty years old. and You come into my office and you say, "I'm afraid of cats," and um, you have to help me. I, I don't have any memory of what a cat has done to me. And um, what happens is that when a stu- when he this person sees a cat, the stomach triggers the brain danger, danger, and his heart rate goes up, right? right. So how are we going to calm this down, especially since he doesn't know what happened? So as he's telling me the stories and we're trying to figure it out, what I tell people to do is the vagus breathing, which some people call yoga breathing, and they probably have many other names for it. But you breathe into the count of four and you breathe out to the like six, seven, or eight as as far out as you can go. So it's a longer out breath than in breath. Okay. Mm-hmm. And as you're doing that, the nerve will calm down. So you can actually calm down your own panic and your own anxiety. And then of course it would be good to have a positive thought in there. Like I am safe. I'm in Karen's office. There's a cat in the lobby, but the cat isn't hurting me, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, so that's, that's so what the Vegas nerve is. Oh, wow. And there's been a famous researcher, um, Who has written a book called the polyvagal theory dr porges and he talks about the vagus nerve in life and all of that stuff about how it you know causes um you to be nervous or anxious and but what i talk about is what it does to your spiritual body because inside of our physical body we also have a spiritual body like saint paul said in the bible he said you come in in the physical and you go out in the spiritual so so your spiritual body is housed in your solar plexus, you're down past in the back of your stomach. And you and it let's see, when you um, when you have an out-of-body experience, a near-death experience, that spiritual body that houses the soul comes up the vagus nerve and the silver cord is then connected there and goes out the top of your head, your top chakra. We all have this little inch hole at the top of our head. And um, it's where your soft spot used to be. And then people say, well, I was out there flying around and then I felt something pull me back in, which is the silver cord pulls you back into your body or in a near-death experience where people go over to the other side and see their loved ones. And then they're also pulled back in. So you have a spiritual body and a physical body, which is what my third book is about. has all kinds of illustrations showing you about that.
0: That is fascinating. Uh, And I, I would really also love you to tell us Tell us all about that mystical experience. Oh, wait. Yes, the, but you spoke about that, how you figured out what had happened to you. And then you also have an inspiring story about the ghetto house in Little Silver, New Jersey. Yes, I do.
1: Um, now, um, that this in, the title is no way in, is reflective of the lovely town of Little Silver, where I lived um, after I got my divorce. But it was um, my teenage daughter called it this because we moved from a very big house and to a smaller house. So fate is sometimes what we name what happens to us in life. And it's important to know that you are the are the hero of your own story, but that you can't be heroic on your own. You need your ancestors and family members and friends to help deal with both positive and negative happenings. And this is how you develop your soul. But this is a really fun story. So the year was 1982. Interest rates were 18 percent and realtors in New Jersey had started auctioning off houses to stimulate business and I was rather naive female coming out of a dysfunctional marriage with two daughters to support. So in a sadistic sociopathic move, my alcoholic husband had forged my name to a company document and received all the monetary reimbursement of our marital home assets. And he stated to the company that we had been divorced, which had not been. And then he gave me then $10,000 to buy something in a very expensive county in New Jersey. So as I was waiting for the court day to come up, I had um, to receive my half of the marital home assets. A good friend asked me if I'd looked at this certain house in a town very close called Little Silver. And she'd been telling me about this house for almost a year. And I really wanted to stay in the town I was in so the kids would be able to keep the same friends. So I'd been ignoring her information. And, but a nice little house in my town was coming up for auction in two weeks. Uh, so to keep my friend happy, I decided I'd finally look at her house. So it was being placed for auction that very Saturday, and I then decided I was going to practice bidding for the house two weeks from now, especially when I discovered that all that you needed to do to bid was $10,000. So this is one of the first meaningful coincidences in my story, which are very important in your life to develop your soul. So five of us showed up at auction on that lovely Saturday morning in June. And we were sitting in this drab living room when the auctioneer came in and he looked at the surroundings and suggested we all go out on the lawn. The house was on the market for 129,000 and it was appraised for 89,000. Previously I'd asked about this procedure of bidding and was told that the auctioneer would begin at 100,000. So it didn't make sense to me because at an auction you're supposed to get a deal of some kind. But I shrugged, I was only practicing, so what did it matter? So the auctioneer did start at a hundred thousand, and he stated it three times, and no one answered. So he then went to fifty thousand. Now this was a deal, so the bid started flying: fifty, five, sixty. And I thought, well, if you're going to practice, you better get started. So I bid sixty-five, and somebody else said seventy. And when another person said seventy-five, I had a thought: no one had said you had to bid in five thousand-dollar increments. So I said seventy-six. I said it twice and the auctioneer kept repeating 80 and I don't know where this twisted, aggressive, almost demonic voice came from. But I said, 76, <laughs> so loud, so loudly that my voice scared me. And he then quietly repeated 76. So at that moment, it was like everyone realized that the bidding, that, that the, we were all bidding as if this was monopoly money, you know, that it didn't count. So another bit of 77, and I said 78. Then my mind went completely blank, and the yard took on a surreal perspective as if I was going to lose my equilibrium. And I heard the auctioneer say sold. I looked around at our group, and no one looked happy. I wondered who had bought it. I was speechless and shocked, to say the least, when they congratulated me. Wow. However, there was a saving grace. The owner of the house had three A's to accept or reject the offer. And I thought, when I thought about that, I breathed a sigh of relief because my bid was lower than the appraised value. So of course he won't accept, I decided. So three days later when he called, I didn't even recognize his name when I should have been waiting with bated breath for this wonderful deal. Um, so, and I thought, how nice, I'm gonna get my $10,000 back. But instead he congratulated me on the fact that I just bought this house. And do you want to bring your daughters over to see it tonight? And I said, no, no, not tonight. Would Wednesday night be better? Yes, I said. But I knew Wednesday wasn't going to be any better. Oh, wow. So anyway, upon seeing the house, my then 15-year-old told me she wasn't living in this house, that it was a ghetto house. And her empty threat was that she wasn't moving there. Though important, she was the least of my problems because court dates had been canceled and moved so that I wouldn't have any money to purchase this house until moving day in August, two months away. Luckily, when I signed the contract with the movie company, I was not asked for any money because I didn't have any. So the day of the move and the day to appear in court ended up being the same day. And on this day, I had the movers start the two mile move and then told them to keep the boxes coming, set up the beds, put the boxes in the correct rooms, et cetera. And I would be back. And the daughter who said she wasn't moving with me helped the movers. Mm -hmm. Court, my lawyer approved fraud, won the case and we both received certified checks. So my husband's sociopathic move had cost me dearly, but I now had money to pay the movers and to put a down down payment on the ghetto house. And then a lovely surprise awaited me at closing. The owner's realtor told me that there was a five and three quarter percent mortgage, original mortgage that I could assume. Did I want to assume it? And I said, of course I wanted to assume it. And with that money, I could afford my tuition for graduate school so two years later, I finished my degree and I was then ready to start a career. So one of the things that Carl Jung says is chance rules. So my friend had been the angel that was sent to me to keep prodding me to look at this house and look at this house because for some reason, I was meant to buy this house. And my assumptions, be, be careful about your assumptions as you're developing your soul, because I assumed that my bid would not be accepted because it was lower than the appraised value, but you never know somebody else's situation. And so that was my very first spiritual story, really, because that was not my voice that said 76. It it, it just came into me. Yeah. <laughs> that little voice you hear in the back of your head, that was that little voice that I heard. Well, you don't have to bid in $5,000 increments, but that was also helped from the other side because, you know, I could tell it didn't come through my ears. It came through the back of my head, Where, which there's an illustration in the third book about how you get clairvoyant intuition through the back of your head.
0: I can't re- wait to read that book. I know it's going to be absolutely wonderful. And tell us, what is pretermgression, which you say is the purpose of the paranormal and sometimes comes out of mental illness? Yeah, pre aggression is a Raymond Moody term. and Raymond Moody was the
1: creator of the... Um, term near death experience. He wrote that book in 1975. And now so many people are having near death experiences and it's become part of our culture. Um, But he said that um, predigression came from an awareness and aided in lifting somebody's symptoms, like of depression. Um, So like this woman that came to me, she was Catholic and she was very depressed. And um, she came in uh, one night after, it was after, after Christmas. And I I was running spirituality groups at that time, and they were wonderful, seven or eight people together, and they really grew. And all we talked about was spiritual experiences and different things that they really wanted to talk about that you don't usually talk about in real world. Anyway, so she came in and said that she had been so depressed and she had all these lists of things that we had given her that she was supposed to do. And she had meditated finally and decided to breathe very quietly and to get through this depression. And in her meditation, the three kings appeared to her and they came and they brought her gifts and they told her that she was worthy. Now, one of the things that her parents and family had said to her was that she was born on Wednesday and Wednesday's child was full of woe. She heard that her whole childhood. And so she was uplifted by this feeling that the three kings gave her when they gave her these gifts that she was worthy. And when they bowed in front of her, hmm. that her depression was lifted. So this is just a story of an image, which is Jungian psychology. We have to pay attention to the images that we get in in, in meditation and in dreams because those symbols are sent to us for a reason. And it was sent to her to finally say, there's no reason for you to be depressed. You are worthy. But see, this came from her spiritual background of being Catholic. And I probably came on Three Kings Night when I think about it because it was in January, the first week or so, um, but I haven't been, been able to put a date on that experience, but I just love it because I think it's the purpose of the paranormal. Why we have these different experiences is to help us develop our soul.
0: I, I agree with you. I think that's amazing. I mean, and, uh, this is, I mean, there's so many things in this interview that call for another interview sometime <laughs> to explore more. And I wish that, um, I was once a member of a spiritual group also, and that sounds absolutely wonderful. Like that would, a lot of people would be interested in forming those. Yes. Yes. They're, they're so, I too. think that's the key to the future. I really do. groups. Yeah. I think well, it's sort of like what we're doing here with Grief and Rebirth, because we have a healing community and yes. and all of that. It's all it's all part of this community and this raised awareness. So now I'd like to talk about your three wonderful books. Your first book is called you're not finished yet. And it's for adults raised in alcoholic and dysfunctional homes. Tell us about the book's premise and, and anything else you'd like to add about it. Okay. Well, it lists the characteristics that you
1: get coming from an alcoholic or dysfunctional home, which is you're either overly responsible or under responsible. And you have problems sometimes telling the truth when it's just, you don't have to lie, but you do because that's what you're used to doing. And, um, different, that you have problems with intimate relationships, those kinds of characteristics. Mm-hmm. Also talks about the roles in the family, the hero, the scapegoat, the lost child, the mascot, and the placator kids. And usually we're a combination of two of those roles. And we play those in, in our life and then also um, in as adults. Um, mostly too, in coming out of an alcoholic or dysfunctional family, the dysfunction that you bring into the next generation is your communication skills or lack thereof. And so that's a lot about what you need to learn as to how to communicate with other people.
0: That's, that's uh, um, must, be, must so be so helpful, helpful to people. people, your book. And, and the title of your second book is called Grandma, What is a Soul? What age group is this book meant for? And please tell us about it. Well, I think um, it's probably for six to,
1: um, I don't know. It's six to adulthood, really, because my grandson was six. When he said in the car one day, Grandma, I don't like to talk about this very often. And I knew he was afraid of something, but I don't want you to die. And I thought, well, we never Mm -hmm. talked about that. So anyway, I said, well, you know, you have to be really, really old usually to die. And I'm not that old. So I fibbed a bit. And then I said, but when I do die, when I'm really, really old, my soul will come back and watch over you. And he said, Grandma, what is a soul? So then I had to, and luckily I have a PhD in spiritual psychology. So I could tell him that what a soul was and we had the whole conversation, which is what the children's part is. And then there's a part for parents uh, about what is a soul. So you read that first part and you read the story before you decide if you're going to read it to your kids, but it couldn't be for any age because some kids are more precocious than others, you know? And, um, but kids start worrying about death around five or six and how, who are they going to lose?
0: uh is it written from a most i mean when you talk about the soul can any religion um any person from any religion uh, access yes. this book it's not just meant with a christian perspective is it
1: no it's um charles tart who is a very famous person in sight and um Jungian and transpersonal psychology he he writes really deep books and he said that My premise were the same as some of his scientific books, but it really comes from a spiritualist perspective, which is universal, I believe, um, in that you believe in life after death and that love continues and that we're happier when we know that love continues.
0: That's all true. I can say that. I can state that from my own life. Absolutely true. And so wise, Karen. And now the new book you have coming out called The Psychology of the Soul and the Paranormal, which sounds absolutely fascinating. Tell our readers all about that and where will they be able to find it? In addition to where can they find your other two books?
1: Right. The other two are on Amazon at the moment, and this one will be on Amazon at the end of September. Um, So it teaches you how to harness the deeper levels of consciousness in daily life, describes various kinds of paranormal experiences that have been widely reported. Because see, people have these experiences and then they don't tell anybody because they're afraid that it would indicate mental illness. Mm. So I described that in the book also. The difference between mental illness and a spiritual experience is that mental a person who is mentally ill and has some kind of hallucination um, cannot stay with the same story over and over again. But if you're, and, and they're very grandiose about, well, I talked to Christ or I, I did this or I did. And they make no sense usually, but somebody who's had a spiritual experience, they're humbled by the experience and it's brought some peace to their life. Even if it doesn't do that right away, it does eventually when they understand what it, what it really meant. So all of that is described. And then I explain the nervous system with the vagus nerve coming from a clairvoyant spiritual perspective. And that we, as I said, have this spiritual body inside our physical body and that uh, people throughout you know, centuries have left their body and come back in. And so I, I talk about some of those people and, and what they wanted you to know in and just being able to leave their body. And some of them just left their body and came back on Sunday afternoon and they did that. Robert Monroe did that for years. It wasn't anything spiritual. He just liked leaving his body. So anyway, you need to be able to understand that this has been going on for a long time. And what does it have to do with you? And maybe you'll never leave your body. Maybe you'll just get intuition at the back of your neck, sometimes, you know, like Oprah, who says on one of her Super Soul Sunday shows, How come I get good ideas when I'm in the shower? She asks a spiritual expert, and he says, I don't know. And she said, Well, somebody says it's because the hot water hits the back of my neck. And I'm sitting in the family room saying, Yeah, it's hit your vagus nerve. And if it you hits your vagus nerve, and that's how you get intuition. And um, so, anyway, just something simple like that you know, that little voice that you need to listen to more and more in order to be more spiritual. That's explained in there too.
0: Gee, it sounds like you should send Oprah a copy of your book. It'll help her to understand and to get the answer to her question. I know. I I would love to send Oprah. Somebody send me her address. I'll send it to her. (laughs) Perhaps in our uh, listening audience, there is someone who can reach out and do that. Um, which would be great. And you, if you get on IreneWeinberg.com, you could get on to hello at IreneWeinberg.com and send us the information. We would be very welcoming to it. Thank you. And, we, and I will pass it along to Karen. And Karen, of all people in the world, why do you think it is important to heal and evolve?
1: Well, because I think that we came into this world to live the life we were given. Whether we like our life or not, and we feel like we were cheated, you are to live it. And that is the purpose, to develop your soul in the life you have. So I have found that I've had to do that by learning how to be more positive. And every day, if it's not a good day, I just decide it's going to be a better day with a positive attitude. And to know that no no matter what is happening at the moment, I am really safe. I am safe here. And there are some people that I have developed in life that I can trust and that can help me and support me. And so if you don't have that, then that is going to be your job. If you come from an alcoholic home, uh, you can join Al-Anon, which are people that get together and learn how to handle the alcoholic. I would highly recommend that. Get yourself out, get some energy. Um, Don't isolate because that's one problem with the vagus nerve. People that have problems with this nerve, they do not, Um, go out socially the way they should. And guess what? That equals mental illness when you stay home and isolate because Mm -hmm. you just can't handle other people. So I, and I try to keep in my life only people who are positive and want to help me celebrate my life.
0: So every single one of us on this planet has something that has a life situation we were given that is something we're supposed to heal to evolve to another level within this life. Is that, Yes. right.
1: And mine was, my mother was married to an alcoholic and I married and divorced an alcoholic. Well, she never divorced him. So I just, um, I had to figure it out. You know, and one day he said to me, we're having a fight. And he says, I want to tell you something, but if you tell anybody this, I'll deny it. And I could tell he was right there in the conversation for a change. Right. And I said, what? He said, you, I can live without, but alcohol, I can't. And I thought, wow. That's what I've been afraid of all this time is that he, he, you know, valued alcohol over me. And that's what alcoholics do. They value alcohol over you. So anyway, that was part of my um, development that I
0: had to get out. I didn't know how I was going to do that and still raise two daughters that I had left, you know, and look what it led to with all the people that you're helping and how you yourself have evolved and passed it forward. It's fantastic. you know, and you know that we never know our possibilities
1: until we get out there and just half a life is showing up.
0: That's true. You're absolutely right. Karen, what is the I know our readers now, our listeners really want to find out more about your books, find out more about you. So what is the best way for them to reach you and what are and you have three websites, right? I do. Karenherrick.com. Let's spell that. Okay, K
1: A R E N H E R R I C K dot com and then spiritual experiences dot info. And that has a lot of articles on it about all different types of spiritual experiences. If you want to know about them and then grandma, what is a com?
0: Okay. And uh, what is your tip on finding joy in life? I think you just have to show up every day.
1: Oh, and also I want to give them my email because I type over 100 words a minute and I really will answer their questions.
0: Okay, And that's,
1: and that's Karen, K-A-R-E-N at karenherrick.com. Okay. And you're just saying show up every day and half a life is just showing up somewhere. I mean, there used to be a cartoon of an adult child, an alcoholic solving a problem and it was somebody under the blanket. <laughs> so if you're at home under the blanket, nobody's going to come. <laughs> <laughs> we're always waiting for the presence to come to us, you know, and um, the presence of someone we have to go out and find people that are going to help and support us.
0: I'm okay. That is great. And uh, I want to thank you so much. I I'm actually really looking forward to reading your book, the psychology of the soul and the paranormal and let us know it's absolutely coming out the end of September. Yes, absolutely. Okay, and here's a reminder, everyone, that you can see the full show notes and all Grief and Rebirth episodes on www.IreneWeinberg.com and make sure to follow us on social at, at Irene S. Weinberg on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Karen and I both know for sure that life continues on after death. Therefore, as I like to say, Surely to be continued many blessings and bye for now.